Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Seek Outside podcast. Just a little update on our giveaway that we're doing right now. We're getting so much awesome feedback on iTunes um, ratings and reviews. Um, so we really appreciate you guys hopping in and letting us know what you think, what you like, what you don't like. All of it is really good stuff. For those of you that are just joining us, um, we have a contest going on right now um, that is basically we're giving out a free uh, Ultra 400 backpack to a random person. Um, all you have to do to be entered into this contest is jump on iTunes, leave us a rating and review, and let us know uh, what your favorite episode is, and we, you'll be entered into the, into the contest here. Um, Next week, on next week's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be announcing the winner. Um, we'll also be probably announcing it on Instagram as well. Um, so make sure you stay tuned for that one. All right, we got a good podcast going on right now. Uh, this is going to be uh, some through hiking knowledge for you. Um, really enjoyed this podcast as it's uh, a subject in which I'm not super uh, knowledgeable. So I learned a lot and... You know, for those of you that aren't into through hiking or backpacking, this is a good way to, to get some tips um, for your for your hunting or fishing needs or whatever. So, hope you all enjoy the episode. All right. Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. And then you say, you think that's bad? See Ryan on the phone in the office. <laughs> some people are just wired that way but yeah well it's uh it's good to have you on um thanks for joining us today um we'll just dive right into it um so typically we we start out with a little introduction um we don't have many through hiker folks on this podcast um that's why we're we're stoked to have you on but um your name is juliana chauncey um you run backpacker radio uh beyond that we have really no idea what you do we were we're very intrigued by the whole through hiking thing and uh so maybe you could give a little introduction into what you do sure now are we rolling? yeah go ahead yeah do okay. it yeah we're okay. rolling hi everyone always I'm rolling <laughs> I'm Juliana Chauncey. Uh, a lot of people call me Chaunce. Juliana's four syllables, which people oftentimes decide is too long. So Chaunce works for everyone. Um, I do a lot of long distance hiking. Uh, I've hiked the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, the Colorado Trail, um, John Muir Trail, uh, Trans Catalina Trail, if you count that, um, pieces of the Ice Age Trail, and yeah, just really good at walking. Um, I co-host the Backpacker Radio podcast for the Trek with Zach Davis, the owner of the Trek. Um, I'm working on a podcast for them called Mile by Mile, which is about the history of long distance trails. I've written a book, uh, Hiking from Home, a long distance hiking guide for family and friends, which is a guide to long distance hiking for the people that are not long distance hiking. Um, it does better than you'd think in terms of that sounds like a trash concept. Uh, when saying it, but I promise it's necessary. Um, yeah. And yeah, just very good at anything walking related. Well, very good. Mediocre. Better than some. 
Depends on what you classify probably, as good. Probably better <laughs> than me. Uh, I feel like... <laughs> Well, yeah, and I think uh, if you're good at walking, which is something that literally everybody does every day, if you're if you can consider yourself good at walking, that's a win over like probably ninety eight percent of the people out there. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it helps that I have asthma, so running was never in the cards. Um, But got good (laughs) in the slow lane. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, hey, get there, uh, get there. You know, don't get there at all. As as long as you get there, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Get get there. Be square. Yeah. That's what I'll they get say. there eventually. Is usually what I tell that's, my friends yeah, when we separate in the day. Nice. Yep. So me and Lee are clueless as to the whole yeah. through hiking thing. I mean, we have both, I think in our in our ranks we have <laughs> folks who do have a clue about through hiking. Um, yes, but Kevin. We thought it would be more entertaining to have uh, um, us do it. Um, because we can ask all the dumb questions that might be good questions for folks wanting to start out. Um, especially like those who are like, I just want to go do, uh, something. I think backpacking is really cool. Um, so how do I, how do I do that thing? Um, and that, that's kind of what we're hoping to get out of this one with us two clueless, um, through hiking, uh, long distance backpacking oafs. Yeah. Well, and I got to say, we were talking on the phone yesterday um, and, you know, you're telling me that your base weight is like eight pounds and coming from <laughs> what what me and Lee do with like, you know, hunting and I've done some backpacking, but my base weight's never been. I mean, my pack when I was a little kid, my pack was probably eight, eight pounds. Um, so it's it's very interesting to get your perspective. But um but yeah, I think a good starter question um, would would probably be um, from the beginner's perspective, like like just I guess just go through the whole thing if you can. Sure. Um, maybe yeah. break it down from the beginning, uh, planning a trip um, to you know executing a trip, and then we can ask you some other questions in between there. Yeah, I think. Um I think a big thing that most people do is they just overcomplicate it, right? Like you tell them you're going from Georgia to Maine, you tell them you're going from Mexico to Canada, and they just like see it as like a huge undertaking and something that seems impossible and takes a lot of time and makes it, they make it a lot more complicated in their heads than it needs to be. Um, The thing about it is it's just, again, it's just walking and it's just a day hike after a day hike, after a day hike with an overnight in between each one. Um, and eventually you do enough of them and you get to the other border. So sure, yeah, just string it, stringing all your day hikes together. It's a good way to look yeah. at it. Yeah. Yeah. And a, a big part of it is mental. I think a lot of people who are new to it will go in and not think about the mental aspects. You know, you'll make sure your gear is dialed in. You'll make sure you're physically fit and in shape to take on a trail and you get out there and you, you're good for like a week and then you start to realize like I'm bored of all the thoughts in my head. Um, now what do I think about? And your mind starts to wander towards like comfort food, being home, a bed. It's not raining. I'm not cold. My feet don't hurt. And though, those types of thoughts will get you off trail more than anything most times. So I think the first step is just keeping it simple. I mean, that's a good point because we've, uh, we've had a couple of folks from the alone tv show on the podcast and you know even just watching that the first thing that typically brings people home is those thoughts that are if they don't get injured it's the thoughts of 
you know, home and family and all that good stuff. So for me, it's Chinese um, food. Dude, yeah, I, I can't tell you how many chicken. times. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the mountains or on a trail or something, and I'm just like, uh, I could go for just some fried rice and orange chicken, you know, kung pao some, chicken, something. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Yep. Yeah, the the cool thing is like there are places that become notorious. Like there's this place called Waynesboro that's a resupply town along the Appalachian town, uh, hmm. Appalachian Trail. Excuse me. That has an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. Oh, dude. And so you I'm in. I'll hike that, it just like, for that. <laughs> yeah. It's like 200 miles beforehand. You're like, all right, next Wednesday, I'm going to be at this buffet. And you plan your whole day around it. And like seeing a bunch of people that have hiked for months get to an all-you-can-eat buffet is almost like watching TV. Yeah. What do they charge there? Because it's got to be like everybody's going up for like third and fourth plates, I would assume. The most dangerous ones are the ones that charge if you don't finish your plate because you get there and your eyes are just like, I want all Huge. of this. And then you sit down and <laughs> it's like, oh, I've got to really think about what I've done here and force yeah. it all in. Yeah. Um, OK, so that's a that's a good segue, um, because that's one of the things I'm very curious of. Um, what are the logistics of uh, resupplies, getting food? Um, well, it sounds like there's typically towns that you go yeah. stock up in. Is that kind of the, the, the way it goes? Yeah. So you'll base your resupply kind of <laughs> off what trail you do. Sometimes like on the Pacific Crest Trail or Continental Divide Trail, people will mail themselves some boxes if they're going through towns that don't have really good resupply options at all. For example, Crater Lake, as you're going through Oregon on the PCT. You can resupply out of the gift shop at the national park if you want, which is oh, really? noodles all the way. Um, so you can just you can like mail, you could just mail a package to the gift shop. Yeah. So you can send packages to yourself by general delivery to post offices anywhere in the country, and they'll usually hold them for up to two months for you. Mm. So oh. if you know you're going to be in these isolated areas in a month, you might go to like a Walmart and get a bunch of stuff and pack out five boxes and drop them off at the post office, ship to post office in Seed Valley, general delivery, CEO, care of Juliana Chauncey. And that's, then you get there, you show them your ID and they give you the box. That's crazy. I had no clue that you could do that. And that I'm like, I'm like giddy right now. Cause I'm just like, I want to find something. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just go hike one of these things just to go do that. I mean, this just blows yeah. my mind. I had no clue that you could do that. If you get through this whole interview and you don't want to by the end, I think I've really failed here. Um, <laughs> but I mean, things like your bear canister, you know, yeah. if you're doing the mm -hmm. Pacific Crest Trail, you need to carry that through the Sierra. Mm -hmm. It's also like heavy and cumbersome and takes up a lot of space in your pack. So is that a, is that a legal thing? Like you, you have to? Uh, legally, in, yeah, in, the, um, in Yosemite, you have to. Yeah. There's a certain stretch. It's from technically Lone Pine would be the latest you could have it sent, and then uh, Sonora Pass is where people send them back home. But hmm. since you don't want it the whole time, you'll send it to yourself there. And it's yeah. you know it's like shipping a box. You just put a shipping label on your bear canister and chuck it at the post office. And then you get there and it's, you know, that's there, your ice axe, if you send that, your tampons, anything that you wouldn't need, like, in the desert. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, because I was like, man, you have to carry that bear canister for, you know, however long and you're only going to need it for however long, you know, because so that always kind of 
intrigued me as well like why like why people were doing that one i didn't know it was required by law in yosemite um to to do that but that makes a lot of sense that's that's a logistical nightmare kind of actually Uh, that's a lot of stuff to have to figure out beforehand yeah like in lassen national park you have to carry it technically if you're camping between these two points it's about can't remember how many miles between but it's a established campsite with a bear box stretch established campsite with a bear box and if you're camping in between them you need a bear canister Mm. but rather than mail it to yourself get it find a way to mail it back and everything like that you just plan okay tonight i'm going to end at this bear canister and then tomorrow i'm just going to bang it out get to the next one sleep there and then i've hiked through the area that i would have need to carry it Mm. had i slept overnight same thing on the appalachian trail if you sleep near Bear Mountain, or Bear Mountain, Blood Mountain, you need a bear canister there, but most people will just hike through uh, Blood Mountain and bypass that. What a name. What a I know, name. Blood, Blood Mountain. Mountain. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's like, that's like crazy logistics. I mean, because yeah. then you're, you're yeah. literally planning mileage. Food. Yeah, if I'm yeah. like, if we're talking about food resupplies, like it would be misleading to say that you send all your boxes. That's like worst case scenario, like you're going somewhere so remote, you just don't want the limited options they have. Um, I, I usually just buy food as I go. So oh. I'll take my average hiking pace and I'll figure out what gets me from one town to the next town. I'll make it like a hundred to 150 miles would be a good week for me. And yeah. then I'll pack out for that distance. So if it's going to take me five days of twenties to get a hundred miles and then I get to the next town. Okay. Well, from here to that next town, I'm going to pack five days of food. So I'll toss in five packets of oatmeal. I'll toss in five chewy bars. I'll throw in five Pop-Tarts. I'll throw in five desserts, five pasta sides, five ramens. um, And I'll literally just think of the next five days instead of viewing it as a huge trip. And then I get to the next town and I reset and I say, okay, where's my next town? How many days is that going to be? Okay, let me pack for six days now. So what's what's your preferred? Do you have a preferred food? Like, are you typically taking dehydrated kind of like mountain house meals, or is there something in the in the backpacker world that's a little bit different? I eat like a raccoon on trail. Like, I I eat trash. I think compared to what a lot of people eat, there's some people that go really heavy into. <laughs> I thought you I thought you said I eat raccoon on trails, and no. I was thinking it was a joke. But then you continued, and I was like, what the? But you're no, I eat like you a said, raccoon. Like a raccoon. Yeah, okay. like a little trash eater. Um, yeah. Because I just, I mean, I crave, like, candy, sweets, junk food sure. on trail. And if I'm, like, killing myself just to get through each day, like, I don't want to be eating cliff Bars or really healthy stuff, which mm-hmm. is terrible, right? Like, you want to fuel your body properly. Um, but you're hungry regardless. You're under nourished regardless a lot of the time. So yeah. sometimes yeah. I'll chuck some chia seeds in my water and pretend i'm doing something good for myself but i'll eat pasta sides for dinner ramens for lunch i'll take a sleeve of oreos and throw them in a ziploc and toss them in my bag um just as long as i'm eating right because if i don't like what's in my pack i'm gonna skip the meal rather than eat the meal and then that's when you start finding yourself like nodding off five miles into your day yeah i subscribe to that man oh yeah (laughs) i subscribe junk food dietary yeah. plan on trail <laughs> milky ways and and uh and twizzlers typically well that's the funny thing is people will spend so much time like 
cutting their toothbrushes in half to get a low pack weight, and then they'll toss in three Snickers like it's nothing. And it's like, <laughs> things are heavy. Like, we're, we're cutting our yeah. toothbrush in half, but we're going to just toss in the Snickers like it's no big deal. So. Yeah, I think it's all just dependent on your weight to comfort you know yeah. like threshold where how much weight you can cut to how much discomfort that causes you um or how much weight you can add and how much comfort that causes you whichever way you want to whichever way you want to um, think about it but uh um do you cut your toothbrush in half no yeah. i uh i get one of the travel ones so it's already small oh, so it's already but tiny you yeah. and you click it in yep. it has it on. yeah yeah i was gonna say because i feel like we can break down i feel like we could break it down into like the the toothbrush shavers the tooth toothbrush cutters and the non-toothbrush cutters and that's probably like literally 50 50 i don't i don't know if you would agree but i feel like from what i've seen and heard and and just like the conversations I've been in, it's like half and half. Yeah, there's like a macho type of like getting as light as you can atmosphere at times. Like there was a guy in the AT that was sending home his down jacket and it's like cold at night. So we were just sitting there like, maybe you shouldn't do that. And he was like, no, I'm going to. It's fine. And like he had already sent home a bunch of other stuff. And there gets to be a point where you're just waiting for an accident to happen if you're not sure. carrying at least yeah. weight. Yeah. So, so your typical day, would you say is probably like what, 20 miles ish on a typical, uh, through hike there? It depends on the trail. Um, on the Appalachian trail, it's just a foot traffic only trail. So there's not really any switchbacks. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you see a hill, it goes up and down. Um, they call them pods in the beginning, which is pointless up and downs. Whereas mm-hmm. on the Pacific Crest Trail, since you can bring horses too, everything's created for horses. So whereas the AT would go like that, the PCT has a bunch of switchbacks mm-hmm. to make it a lot easier. So they say if you're doing, you know, 15 to 20 miles a day on the AT, you could bust out 25 to 30 on the PCT for the same amount of time and effort, just because it's less exhausting to do those miles. Hmm. I was always under the, the impression that the PCT was easier than the AT. In terms of grade, yeah, because it's got the switch back, so it's graded easier. But the PCT, I would say, is tougher in terms of you're progressing from just walking to walking with technical aspects, right? So you're dealing with desert heat. Um, you're dealing with long water carries. My longest one on the PCT was 42 miles. And it's mm-hmm. like you're filling up for 42 Whoa. miles, you've got a plan, right? Um, yeah. Whereas the AT, there's, you, know, you can carry a liter of water and be fine 90% of the trail. Um, you get into the snow in the Sierra, you get into the tighter weather windows. So there's ways that just cause the trail grade isn't as hard, doesn't mean it's not as tough of a trail to complete. And you, you, uh, you bring up a good point, Ryan, make sure that if I'm bringing us off track from your question that you take us back because this might go into this, we might be on this for a while. Okay. Um, I might have lots of questions. Uh, so you're talking about weather windows. And I know we're, we're bouncing back and forth, but like, like we said, we're newbies. We have no clue. I've done research and I've talked to folks and I have friends, all that good stuff, but I've never done anything myself. Right. Um, you're talking about weather windows. When is like the, and I know that there's different starting times, whether you're going to go South or North, uh, on like the PCT AT, cause you can go um, you know, you can go both ways. Um, 
what when's like the typical starting time for the PCT uh and the AT or maybe maybe just bring us through one first or the, and the other one next or or your top 3 I, I don't know just like cuz I I feel like they're so different like you could start one uh you know 3 months before you, you could ever think about doing the other you know yeah, and I mean, direction plays into part, too, because you could start the AT going north in January, but you couldn't start it going south. Um, yeah, that's true. What yeah, you want to yeah. think about is, what's the weather like where you're going to be starting, um, and has winter ended yet, right? Yeah. And do you have enough time, given what you project your pace would be, to finish before winter starts again? So, if you're starting the AT... Sure, you could start in January. Worst thing that's going to happen is it's going to be really, really cold. Um, but if you're going south from Katahdin, you want to make sure you're not at risk for like getting caught in really, really deep snow, right? Like if we put it into something that we are near right now, which would be the Colorado Trail, like we're not going to go out backpacking in the San Juans right now, right? right. Like just because it's 65 yesterday doesn't mean that's a good idea. <laughs> There's probably more chances of avalanches right now as things warm up. Um, you want to wait for what it's called to be passable, to be able to go in there with safety if you're not like specifically trained in mountaineering, for example. So yeah. to answer your question, AT, fair game right now. People are starting the Pacific Crest Trail already, too. The difference is the Appalachian Trail doesn't require permits. Um, the Pacific right. Crest Trail gives out about 50 a day for this time frame, which is within the weather window. Um, it'll stay pretty busy until about May. And then mid-May, it'll really slow down because at that point, for you to get through Washington by mid-September to mid-October, where snow is really going to start coming down, um, starts to tighten up. So at yeah. that point, someone would probably choose to go south. So they'd leave Washington in July, maybe June. Um, but then they've got an even smaller weather window because they've got to get through the Sierra now before September, October, because that's going to start getting snow too. Yeah. Um, so how long do these, these hikes typically take? Depends on the trail. If it's going to be one of the big three, which are Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, Continental Divide Trail, those are usually full summer hikes. So they'll take anywhere from four to six, seven, eight months, depending oh, on the wow. scale of the year. Um, but then you have guys out there doing a calendar year triple, which means that they're going out there and they're doing all three of the triple crown uh, in one calendar year. So they're getting all three done at once. And those, I mean, those have to be like professional athletes, right? Like they are like super training. Like fast packing. Like the, these things. The guy I'm following right now who's doing it, he's on the AT at the moment. His trail name is Quadzilla. And he, uh, when he started. Follow him on Instagram. Yeah. When he started the CDT, he smashed a watermelon with his thighs because of how strong his oh, legs are. Jesus. We tried that. It's not, I think I like minorly bruised a watermelon when I gave it an attempt. It's not easy. So that, I mean, guys like that are just like made of muscle, ready to go. Well, and let's be honest, if you're doing that, you gotta be a little bit like mentally probably unstable, right? I would think, I don't know, yeah. maybe, I'm, maybe I'm the mentally unstable one, but <laughs> no, I mean, I think, that or you just want to go bigger, right? Like yeah. we're living yeah. life in the slow lane. If you're really good at mountain biking and you're coming through hike, you're going to be bored. You're going to be going slower than you've ever gone. And so it's like, how do I up that ante? And so that's when you get into FKTs and you try to break speed records. And then you realize like, okay, I can go pretty fast. Like, can I knock out all these at once? And you start to challenge yourself more. Yeah. So is there kind of like a competitive 
aspect to this? Is there a competitiveness to this whole, to the whole lifestyle there? Yes and no. There's a lot of people that like can get competitive with it. Um, and then there's a lot of people that hate that stuff. Like they'll hate even getting asked like, what day did you start? Cause they'll take it as someone asking what day you started as them sizing up to where you both are based on when you both started. Um, and they just like, don't like that. For me, I'm five one. Um, I've got a very short, uh, leg span in terms of steps. I don't know what the right word for that is, but my steps don't go very far. So I'm, I'm not one that's ever going to be, you know, breaking speed records. And I kind of acknowledge that I move best at like a three mile an hour pace on trail. Um, that's if I'm hauling, whereas I'll see guys that are six, five going four miles an hour and like snacking on the way, which for me is infuriating. Um, but I think it's just knowing what you're capable of and, you know, staying in your lane with it. Right. Cause it's easy to get caught right. up with what someone else is doing. Totally. And I think, you know, that goes for every activity, you know, there's people out there who want to be the best of the best. They want to have all the first ascents. They want to have all the first ascents. They want to have the fastest ascent. Um, you know, they want to have the fastest time the most done of whatever the most 14 who's climbed in in certain amount of time you know uh, it it doesn't really matter what you do someone's always going to turn it into a competition and i i'm I'm right there with you i I think sometimes that that can be very frustrating when it's like i just love to do this thing and i just want to keep doing it because i just love to do it not because i'm trying to prove to someone else that i can do it better than them um so that can be frustrating. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's important that you're like talking about that because it's that way people know that it's, it's not about the competition. It's, it's about the, like, do you like to do this thing? Do you want to do this thing? And if you do, hopefully you have a whole lot of fun doing it. Um, no matter what it is, you know? Yeah. And you're going to find people on the trail that fit what you're looking for, right? There's so many people out there these days that you know, the AT has a big older audience where they get a lot of retired people going out and doing that trail. And a lot of people, you know, they start out doing five, eight miles a day. They work their way up to eight to 10 miles a day. And when they're absolutely cruising, they're at 15 miles a day. Right. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't say if I was six, five, I wouldn't want to be crushing people either. Cause I, I came from Colorado to, you know, sea level Georgia to start it in the best shape I've ever been in. And yeah, I'd see some big muscly guys on the uphills that I would pass and it felt great. And like, <laughs> maybe like, yes. I wanted to take a break and I was like, I'm not taking a break till I'm out of sight just so they can know I smoked them. Yeah. And it's just okay. like, like you don't know where it comes from, but you're standing there and you're like, I'm so strong, you know, yeah. and you can't help getting that mindset. Yeah. But if that's not what you're looking for, like there's the people that aren't looking for that. Yeah. And the ones that are going fast will go further and you won't see them again. And the ones that are going at your pace, you're going to start to see every other night at camp and you'll end up becoming closer with them as time goes on. That's a cool thing I think about through hiking or even just section hiking, right? If you, even if you're just, uh, you know, doing sections, um, you end up spending a lot of time with folks that you have no clue who they are. You'll, you've yeah. never met this person in your life and you just happen to be on the trail at the same time. And uh, it seems like there's a huge, uh, yeah, like the community in this is like really cool to me um because yeah you just like become friends and and you you use the term trail name which i didn't know existed um until a few years ago and i was talking on the phone 
uh, with a guy who wanted uh, to want who wanted to buy a seek outside backpack for the Appalachian Trail, and he asked me what my my trail name was, and uh, I, I was like, uh, I don't know what do I what do I say to this? I, I have no clue what you're talking about, and uh, I think his I think his uh, trail name was Frog Legs, or maybe or maybe it was Toad. Maybe it was Toad or something. So Frog Legs Toad, if you're out there, man, uh, you you messed me up for life because then I like I like started looking into it and I, you know, went down the rabbit hole of of the whole through hiking section hiking thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe talk to that about that a, a little bit. Like that, it's just crazy to think that you're you're just starting to spend nights and days and months with people that you've never met before. It's crazy. Yeah. And I just, I do want to get into the, like, do you know what the history of trail names? Like, do you know anything like that? There, God, I just read about this the other day. There was someone that they were saying, like, what is the first one that they made a trail name for, but I'm not going to be able to recall it. But the way a trail name usually works is something happens where someone else will give you a name or you'll pick a name yourself. Um, my co-host picked Badger for himself because he went to University of Wisconsin and was a Badgers fan. Um, I go by Chance because I just like never really was given one that I liked enough to keep. Um, like I don't want to walk around saying my name's Wildflower, even though like totally cool if you do. Um, and then like, there's other ones that are just absolutely hilarious. Like I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail with a guy that I met on day three, which goes back to your point. And we've summited in Canada together, or summited, but we made it to Canada together, um, from day three, but his trail name was ball flap. And it's like, you introduce yourself as that to someone and you get those faces, <laughs> but he, uh, he was hiking in sandals and bedrocks and he ended up getting a huge blister on the ball of his foot and it tore. And so he had this huge flap on the ball of his foot. And so named him ball flap, poured some like whiskey on it in a town and ripped it off. Um, and it was just like Jeez. totally normal story for a totally weird sounding trail name. But yeah. I've yeah. seen guys called like cock block Moses, like real funny stuff. And it's just like, you want to get to know them. <laughs> you know, there's crazy. a good story there. Well, but you'll yeah. always get like 10 striders and things like that too. So, so is this a situation where like you can't, you, you don't tell each other their first name, your first names, and you just got to wait until you get a, a damn trail name? Or is there, is there like some sort of secret code with no, uh, you'll through tell hikers? Each other, you'll tell each other first names if you don't have a trail name, but then okay. like, you'll also be like, okay, we got to get you a trail name like this. Uh, and then you forget their real names. I'm, I'm going to tell you about this girl that was from the Netherlands that we met on the Pacific Crest Trail. And I don't even know. Her first name, I'd have to check Facebook. But she got her trail name in the desert, um, which was County Dump, because she took a shit and she thought she was, I don't know if we're allowed to curse here, but she thought she was uh, curse away. far enough away from trail and under the protection of shrubs and the trail curved around um, where she was. And so everyone just got... Nice view of the county dump. Um, <laughs> oh my God. So, I mean, you usually try to make it something funny like that. But from that point on, you introduce yourself. It's like, hey, I'm county dump. What's up? <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So is it like a, well, well you kind of mentioned that you can, you can, you can take one for yourself, <laughs> but usually yeah. it's people giving you one is how I understood it. And so like, yeah, you don't I'm, really have a choice of what, it, of what it is. Like you just are given it. 
Yeah, you, know, but you can change their their kind. You can say like, no, I really don't want that. Like yeah. County Dump was like, no, I really don't want that. And then we got into the town of Wrightwood, and a bar was giving away free shots for whoever had the right the best trail name. And she won the free shot, and we're like, if you swallow, I'm that, sure you are keeping this name. And she yeah. did the shot. And that was it was solid from then. Hey, yeah. Set in stone. Yeah, yeah. I love I love that it's like a, a ritualistic thing. I mean, it's really cool because yeah, it. Was fun, so and i had never like really equated it until just now but um have you guys uh, uh chauncey um chaunce have you been up uh to the flat tops at all have you there's a there's a place up there called the devil's causeway and it's it's kind of famous because uh the the old story is that it got its name because a drunk cowboy was up there and he was he was just shooting whiskey the whole time and he almost fell off his horse the horse took off, and basically, this causeway is um, essentially, you know, up twelve thousand feet or whatever above tree line. It's just the greenest grass. Uh, it's it's a flat top, right? It's the greenest grass, and then it kind of narrows into a section that is just stone, and it's probably three or four hundred feet down on either side. The story goes: this drunk cowboy runs across the causeway. And um, he gets to the other side and, you know, finds, you know, all these lakes and stuff that, you know, become the flat tops. Probably none of it is true, but that's the story up there. If you go up there, there's there's a there's a thing where if you cross the causeway, you get uh, you get like a, a name up there. And it's typically like a call. You get named after a Colorado town. I don't know if this is like just my family, but I've I've seen it happening. So it's, it's like a ritual. Like if you cross this causeway, um, it's kind of like a rite of passage, like a symbolic rite of passage. And trail names sound like the same thing. It's it's just a really cool way of uh, you know creating a community up there on the yeah. trail. Yeah, and I mean, some people go into it with a name set, you know, like they've been dreaming it up their whole life, going to the trail. They've thought about it a lot. It's been part of their planning, and they just really know they want a certain name and that's cool too um but yeah it's, it, it's a nice icebreaker because you are meeting so many people that you've never seen or met before and that's an easy way to just be like oh cool how'd you get that name you know yeah. and it opens yeah. up a conversation took a poop yeah. in front of people yeah <laughs> no big well, deal uh, yep exactly yeah um all right so i want to i want to ask a question about the financial aspect right because obviously this if you're going to be gone even three months, but especially if you're going to be gone six months out of the year, um, you're not working. If you could kind of break down for us the the typical, like like what leads you in your life to be able to do one of these through hikes? Like, are you getting sponsored by people? Um, what's what's the situation there? Usually, it's a lot of saving. Like a lot of people, you'll see like really grinding on side hustles, or you'll see them like really living low. You know, like not spending a lot on going out to eat, not door dashing food, not going to the bars. There are guys that will work a ski season in the mountains, and you know, like live real cheap on room and board, and go hike in the summers from what they save from that. And there are people that want to, you know, stay in hotels more frequently on trail and get nicer food in town and. You know, maybe they'll spend time like working a side gig as a waitress and putting all that money into a fund that they keep for when they get to trail. Um, it just depends on kind of how you're comfortable living off trail and yeah. how you plan yeah. on living on trail to figure out what you need. Because um, a lot of these are like, you know, like you said, four, six, 
seven, eight months. Um, it's like you can't be coming back to a job, I would assume. Depends like, on the job. Honestly. Yeah, I, I guess it just it, it really depends on your employer. Um, that would make like sense. Like I right now I'm working in sales. So I have a sales job and if I were to go do a trail, like I would technically leave my job, but like when you pull out one seat another person sits down in the world of cold calling, right? So I could always come back and just pull out a seat and sit back in it as long as I didn't suck at my job, you know, they'd have me back. Um, whereas like when I went to go do the Appalachian trail, I was fed up at a job that I got hired to be a Photoshopper. It ended up being a full coding job. I was paid the least on the team and putting out 40% of revenue on a team of five for a year and a half. And those analytics didn't mean anything to them. So I was like, cool, I'm not valued here. I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to do something else. And for that, it was like, but my last day was on a Friday and I started hiking on Sunday. Um, but I mean, it had been back in my head enough to plan for sure. Yeah. How much, how much does a a typical, like if you're doing the PCT, how much does that cost with permits and food? So the permits, I mean, at least when I did it, the permits don't cost anything. It's not like they're trying to make money on you for the permits. They're just trying to limit like who's hiking and how many people are on the trail, um, to like limit erosion and wear. Um, for most of my hikes, I've usually budgeted around like six to ten or six to eight thousand dollars per hike. And it sounds like a lot, but there's a lot of factors that'll go into like what you're doing on the trail that's going to come into the costs. Um, and this sure, is something like, that yeah, I put if you, if you stop at every town and eat, you're probably gonna need more money, you know? Yep, exactly. This is something I put in uh, the hiking from home book too, because I mean, it adds up so fast, you don't think it's going to, and then. Like they say, like common advice is budget at least $2 per mile, right? So if you're talking about the Pacific Crest Trail where it's like 2,650 miles, you're looking at a little over 5K for a budget. And that's that's doing it, I would say, modestly. Because you go to think about what's going to happen on that hike. Like, okay, food resupply. You're going to estimate 15 to 20 bucks per day. So if you're on a three-day stretch, that's going to be 45 to 60 bucks just for the food, right? accommodations let's say you get to town and you want to sleep in a hostel that can be anywhere from like 15 to 35 bucks a bunk to if you're splitting a private room with people 30 to 60 bucks maybe 100 to 180 bucks if you're not splitting the room and you have it by yourself right if you get into town and you want to go to a restaurant 20 25 bucks for a modest meal um if you just want to grab a beer seven bucks per beer per town um if you just want to get in and out and take a shower like some people charge for just showers, which will be like $3 or five bucks. Same thing with laundry. Um, you got to think about shoes. You'll go through a pair of shoes every three to 500 miles. So estimate wow. under 30 bucks That's per insane. pair. Yeah. You'll tear through six pairs easy. I, I Holy tend to cow. not, not redo my shoes that often. I, uh, I'm just lazy. So like on the PCT, I was on like mile 900 before I got to a place I could hitch into Portland and go to the REI and get a new one. Um, But again, like by that point, your feet are starting to blister a lot more easily. It hurts more to walk. Um, I still, I'm still using my sneakers that I summited the AT in um, back in 2019, just because I'm too lazy to go get a new pair. So it, it just depends on like, again, comfort levels, right? 
um, mail. If you're sending resupply boxes, 10 to 20 bucks for a flat rate box, depending on the size. Shuttles to and from towns. If you're paying for a shuttle or offering gas money for a hitch, five to 10 bucks. Entertainment, emergency. What if you need to switch out gear? Like it, it all adds up to the point where like 5,000 bucks starts to seem like, am I planning enough? After you really start to think about it. Damn, that's insane. So you go through a, a pair of shoes every 500 miles. Like what, what's, so from a hunting, like from my perspective, what's, what's your favorite shoe? Like what do I, I need ultra. to be looking for? I'm you a big like, ultra fan. Ultras? Um, it used to be like Brooks were the big ones. Like the Brooks Cascadias used to be huge. Ultras really took over with the Lone Peaks. Um, those started doing really well. I switched to the Timps, which is another one of their model, which just comes down to preference. And right now, what I'm hearing just like from people is Hoka's are starting to become something that's making an entrance into the scene. Um, but I'm big on Ultras. They, they're just like walking on clouds. Uh, but that's a zero drop shoe. So, what that means is like naturally, when you have a shoe, if this is your heel and this is your toe, there's a little bit of an arch um, from where your heel rests to where your toe rests. In most shoes we use, a zero drop is flat. There's no rise in the heel. And so if you're not used to walking barefoot or walking in sandals or walking in a zero drop shoe, you can cause injuries to your feet by going into them too fast. And, and that's like something we've figured out from science in the last, what, decade or so is that like our our use of these large heels in all of our running shoes quote unquote running shoes um or this like uh you know added arch in a lot of our shoes is what's causing people a lot of foot pain and a lot of messed up feet whereas like we thought putting an arch in your shoe was like good because it helped you have a you know a proper arch in your foot now it's like, oh no, it needs to be flat. It needs to be it needs to be like zero drop because your foot still needs to work naturally and we're used to walking barefoot. Or like at least that's what we've you know Dude, been made for. I have literally like elk hunted in Converse All Stars every year up until this past year. Like that that's been my shoot. Like I, I was never like a hiking boot guy. I mean every once in a while I would. But Converse All Stars stars were my my shoe. This year I switched to this this year. Man, she just like that was that was the slightest burn ever. She said, "No, no, those are just like hashtag to blisters." (laughs) Well, but hold up though, because this year was and obviously I'm not doing you know 20 mile days. It's it's a lot. That's probably about half that. But still, you're putting in some decent miles. This year, I switched to La Sportiva's. Messed up my knee more than I had ever messed up my knee. I, I got to the point where, like, there were multiple days where I couldn't even hike. But the <clears throat> but the boots, because La Sportiva makes, like, a... a yeah, yeah, a yeah. Low, I should say, like, the, their shoe, hiking yeah. boot, like, zero gram fill, you know, yeah. their ultralight hiking boot. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So, I think there is some, some credence to that, you know. Yeah, Obviously, and I mean, you gotta remember, like... People have done the trail in sandals. People have done the trail in huge hiking boots. People have done the trail barefoot, right? It's, you know, people with no feet have done the trail. Yeah. Um, so it's it comes down to what your preference is and what you feel most comfortable in. And that's one thing that, like, giving advice on footwear is the hardest for because it's like, 
you know, it, it all depends on how you feel in the shoe. And there are people that do the trail in Crocs. And know? everyone's like, different. Flex. different. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's got a different foot. That's, that's for crazy. sure. I mean, I'm gonna yeah. do it. I'm gonna do it in Crocs. Yeah, do it. Hell yeah! In like in like a pair of Nike Dad slides. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was trying new to find balances. a photo to show you guys, but I mean, for me, I know it's time to get a new pair of shoes when I start getting like the windows right. It's like the inside yeah. of the shoe just starts to tear, and you get this nice flap on both sides where it's just like this big gap to your foot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like I almost don't want to switch at that point because it's like a nice breeze on your feet as you're walking. <laughs> Um, your quick dry, I like to think too. <laughs> yeah. But yep. yeah, it's you'll tear through shoes real fast. Um, so so I know we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but um what's your what's your base weight uh that you're typically rolling with on on a through hike? Yeah, so it it usually hovers around eight pounds. It depends on the trail. Um and, and what does that include with your base weight? Yep. Um, so I hike with, it's a Mountain Laurel Design Burn is the model. Uh, Mountain Laurel Designs is the make. Um, that one is 13 ounces, so it's not even a pound for the entire pack. Um, frameless, just basically like bare bones what you need. Um, and then that has like a max load bearing capacity to it. So if I start with that as my backpack, I've got to make sure the stuff I'm putting in it with food and yeah. water isn't going to go above the max load bear because then I'm just going to feel pain. So usually pack will be like the last thing you pick because you want it to fit everything else you've decided on. Um, my tent is Gossamer Gears the One. Uh, it's a one-person uh, tent. It weighs 19.7 ounces, at least in 2017 it did. They could have modified it. Um, my sleeping bag is a quilt. Uh, that's the Flux 15 by Catabatic. They uh, are out of Salida now. They used to be mm-hmm. based out of Lakewood. Yeah. Um, yeah. Warmest quilts I've found yet um, for what I've tried for uh, through hiking. And just like the versatility of being able to zip it up to your knees and strap it in under your sleeping pad when it's cold versus unzipping it to a, just a blanket when it's really hot um, is really useful. That's 23.5 ounces. So that's like a pound and almost a half. And did so, you say what, what fill that is? Like what fill are you typically doing? Or like what's 900. the temperature rating? Huh? Mine's 900 fill and it's a 15 degree. 15, oh. okay. Um, yeah, so 23.5 ounces on the sleeping bag, 17, or no, 13 ounces on the backpack and 19.7 ounces on the tent. That gets my big three is what they're called, which is like, your essential three things uh tent sleeping and sleeping bag and backpack around four pounds so everything after that is like playroom um so from there i've got a stove is a it's like a bts it's like this amazon stove it weighs less than an ounce it's this small little dinky thing that you get so much crap for because everyone's like that's gonna break it's like sent over from china um all the instructions are in chinese (laughs) and i've used mine for like three years it hasn't broken um this thing is small yeah Yeah. i'm gonna give me one sec i know exactly where it is and it's right here otherwise i wouldn't do this but this is here's my cooking setup so this goes in my pack this is cooking and so little tokes pot uh Mm -hmm. 
550 milliliters baby fuel, which we count as consumable because it gets lighter as you use it. Yep. And then BRS, sorry, is the name of it. This guy is so small. So small. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, um, like, it's like a MSR pocket rocket yeah. for all the gear nerds out there. It's like an MSR pocket rocket. Uh, like a third the size. And probably and a quarter of the price. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, these things. I mean, it's so cheap that it's like this can't work. Um, yeah. And then you, you think get it's it. A toy. And it's like, is that is that thing pretty efficient? Like, what's the efficiency if if you get some wind going? I mean, if I get wind going, I just cut the hands around. Uh, yeah. But I've never noticed anything like significantly slow to the point where I'm like, this is not something I want to use. Right? Like, yeah. it's going to be windy if it's a pocket rocket, a jet boil, one of these. I mean, I've even had like, cause I have a pocket rocket. I've even seen that thing. Like when it's windy, it's like, Oh, I got to build like a wall for this thing because that, that, that flame is just getting blown. Like, I mean, right over. The thing is, is like, you're not usually cooking hot food unless you're at camp. Once you're in the groove of it, some people will, I mean, I'm not going to speak for everyone on anything, but like if I wake up and I want oatmeal in the morning, my tent's set up. And so I'm going to make it in the, you know, like vestibule, vestibule yeah. cover of my tent so that that blocks the wind. When I go to bed or I get to camp at night for dinner, I'm going to set up my tent first. That way I get my chores done, sit down, take off my shoes, and then I'll make my, you know, pasta side there. So again, I got that cover going. Um, it's what? the middle of the day and I want something hot at lunch. Like I'm probably not trying to go very far that day, I don't think. Yeah. Um, I- I'm sorry, I missed it. What What tent do you run? It's uh, The One by Gossamer Gear. Okay. Uh, and what's the weight on that one? That one, I think, was 19 point... No, that one is... Where'd you go? 19.7. So, 16 ounces is a pound. So, a pound and 3.7 ounces. Yeah. It uses nice. uh, trekking poles to stand up, so you save weight on the poles. Yeah. Yeah, we make nice. a couple of uh, of trekking pole tents. Um, Silex is seventeen. This, yeah, the Silex is seventeen, and the OS, <laughs> which is probably more along the lines of of the size of your tent. There is what twenty one, something like that. Uh, anything's a mansion when I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of like you. I'm I'm a little bit taller than you, but still not a very tall person. Um, Ryan's like six two. I can fit in anything. I have no problem fitting in anything. So it's like I could take whatever out and be just fine. Whereas some guys and gals are like, I can't take that thing because it's way too small. You know? Yeah. I mean, you'll get cool people like Dan Durston's out there making, I think it's like the X mid now it's for Durston gear and his whole design around his tents are that you sleep on a diagonal, right? So the way you set up the tent is the diagonal is the way your body goes. So it gives you more space. Yeah. Um, without adding more space so there's i mean there's all kinds of crazy stuff people are doing the maps out yeah it seems like uh uh, in the tent design world there's a there's a lot of uh competition right like there's a lot of people coming up with new stuff right now um and and it's cool to see as as a tent manufacturing company tent backpack manufacturing company it's cool to see um because it kind of keeps you on your toes keeps you trying new things and stuff um yeah so yeah that whenever and it's like not to be like oh what kind of tent you're running oh, oh what's the weight on that you know it's it's more just like 
we're just curious, you know, um, yeah, we're yeah, always but, curious. Like we're, we just want to see, and we want to, honestly, I like, I want to touch and feel the thing and I want to look at it. Um, you know, cause it's just, it's interesting to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, that's, it was that's rough I was for me starting the, starting the PCT. I, uh, talked a friend into starting with me. She did the first 700 miles and I was in charge of getting the tent and I had researched so many different options that somehow it like eluded me. This is one of the main things I can't make fun of for it. eluded me that the one was a one person tent. So we got out and I'm, I'm my first backpacking, like multi-day hike was the PCT. So we're there on our first night and I'm like opening up this tent setting up for the first time. Cause I didn't want to ruin how it was folded. And she's just like looking at it. Like, this is not a two person tent. And I'm like, no, it's a two person tent. She's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, yeah, look, we can both fit. And, you know, she's like, what is it called? <laughs> and I was like, the one. And she's just like sitting there, like waiting for it. Like she's like, "Why do you think it's called the one?" And I was like, "Cause it's the one you need." And she just <laughs> lost it. <laughs> absolutely yeah. lost it. Um, but yeah, they're they're cool. That's... Oh man! So so the base way is uh is, is your backpack tent and sleeping bag. Um, that's your big three. Your base weight is going to be everything non-consumable that goes on your back, right? Okay. So, all right. If I'm like my stove, my dry bag, my I use a Tyvek as a ground cloth. Um, that stuff yep. you see plastered yep. on like the side of houses. Yep. Tent stakes, uh, extra pair of socks, base layer for night, rain jacket. Any of that would be counted towards your base weight. Um, some people will okay. count things as worn weight, like my T-shirt, my underwear, and my shorts that I never take off are going to be my worn weight, for example. Um, I mean, that's all, that's all technicalities because technically all of it's worn weight. Um, so that gets into like nitty gritty. But what you don't count in your base weight is things like food, water, and fuel. Because those things are consumable. Consumable, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So after you restock then, what's, what's typically like your, your weight with all your food for your, for your next 100, 150 miles? Uh, it depends on the stretch. So you want to imagine that every day of food is going to weigh about two pounds and every liter of water is going to weigh 2.2 pounds. Yep. So if you're in the desert and you're going through a dry stretch and you're carrying six liters of water, that's, you know, 13, 14 pounds Mm -hmm. for just your water. Um, whereas if you're on the 18, you're carrying a liter, only two pounds. Um, if I'm doing a five day resupply stretch, I would imagine that would add 10 pounds to my pack. If I'm going through, like we did a stretch through the Smokies where we didn't resupply for eight or nine days just because we didn't want to. Um, and that was, you know, eight times two, 16, 18 pounds for that. And that's when you're like taping bags of Cheetos on the outside of your pack. Um, I, I was going to say I, 18 pounds. That's, that sounds like a lot of equipment for like the size of bags that I typically see people using on those trips. Yeah, so that's where sometimes it's like, could I go further without going into a town? Yeah. Like, do I need a town today? No, I'd be good to keep going. But I'm going to stop at this town anyway, even if I'm just going in and coming back out. Because it's not smart to put this much weight on my back. It'll take me longer to get to this town. If I plan to go past it, then it would to just go there, get in and get out. And then keep going at a weight that's not going to kill me. Mm -hmm. Um, So you really only do that when you're forced to, right? Like through the 100-mile wilderness in Maine. There's like not as many options or, you know, if you're going through the Sierra in the snow in the middle of May, 
you know, you might be doing 10 miles a day if you're lucky, going as hard as you can. And for that, it's like you're packing food for eight to 10 days in case you get turned back or you get stuck or something happens. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it all really does depend on what's up ahead. Yeah. So, so what about training? Before you go on this, uh, are you doing anything specific for training or are you typically, I'm sure, you know, you're probably hiking year round. Is that, do you consider that good enough training or do you do anything specific to prepare for these? I think with training, it comes down to how much pain you want to be in when you start, right? Because you can treat the first few weeks of your hike as training. When I started the PCT, that was my first big hike um, in 2017. I just knew, like they say, people lose tons of weight on the trail. And so I was like, sick. Like, I'm going to eat as much as I want and drink as much as I want before I start so that I don't miss any of this stuff when I'm out there. And I did what I called bulking season, which is basically I just got fat. Um, <laughs> stupidest idea. I was in so much pain for weeks. It carried throughout the whole trail. Um, I, I had two knee braces that I'd put on, like those ace ones that you get from the store. I had two two ankle ones. I needed to like basically put my weight on railings going up and down stairs. Um, you get what you call baby deer legs when you wake up in the morning and you first try to walk around yeah. or after like sitting for a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like it's doable, right? It's just like, okay, you're really riding the pain train. First, the AT I went into, I had been doing four miles on the treadmill about four days a week. I'd been doing like 20 minutes on the stair climber a couple days a week. And coming from elevation to sea level doing that, I was, like I said, just a rock star. <laughs> absolutely rocking people. And that was like, I feel powerful, right? And strong. Um, and that trail, like I noticed what I missed by not doing that on the Pacific Crest Trail. You know, I would always get to camp. Like I'd leave camp an hour or two earlier than my friends because I didn't want to lose them. Because once you like form those connections, it's hard to say, okay, I'm not going to see you again because you hike faster than I do, right? Yeah. Like that feels like a, real shit way to go so i would get to camp like two hours later i'd catch them at the last 20 minutes of lunch and i leave lunch early just to not like lag that far behind um and it was really a lot of hiking for not a lot of the downtime activities whereas on the appalachian trail i was leaving camp with everyone right i was getting to lunch sometimes first or second enjoying the whole meal right moseying on off getting to camp right in the first few and there were people hiking with us that were the pace that I was on the PCT and I'd see when they would roll in as the sun was setting and just like think about all they missed from like us just like being, being idiots around the shelter. Right. And it's like, you, you, there's a lot of the experience you miss by forcing yourself to do something like that. And you know, what I really should have done was say, Hey, I'm going to slow down a bit and, you know, find a group that is going at a slower pace. That's not killing me on the Pacific crest trail. But at the same time, we had tried to get to the Sierra by a certain point, right? And when that didn't work, and we went to flip past it to go back down afterwards, we started getting caught in forest fires. And it would oh, be geez. like raining ashes on us. And it's like, I have to go this far today. Otherwise, tomorrow I'm going to get kicked out because the fire is going to be too close. And yeah. so then it became like racing fires. So, Yeah, I mean, I'm no doctor. I'm definitely no <laughs> physical trainer, right? Like, I'm not a trainer. But I would say eating a bunch of fatty foods and uh, I'm assuming by when you said drinking, you meant like drinking alcohol, Um, drinking, drinking beer and liquor before something like that 
opens you up to the the crazy world of of inflammation um which is like the killer and like when you said like put knee braces and ankle braces on that's what i what i thought of because um you know i've been there and uh when everything's just like on fire and all your muscles and tendons are just like screaming at you to stop doing whatever you're doing and and you're like popping ibuprofen and Tylenol like it's going out of style trying to reduce inflammation like day, night. <laughs> it's like it, it's so hard. But um, yeah, yeah, not advisable, but yeah. just goes to show that like you like it's not something where it's like, don't go do this hike because you haven't trained enough. Right. Like if it's something where it requires technical skill, yeah, learn those technical skills first. But if it's literally just walking on like the AT, which is basically just like a footpath highway, yeah, you know, like you're not going to kill yourself by under training beforehand. It's just going to be less enjoyable as you get in the groove on trail. Yeah. So would you say that like, you know, be, you know, really like you said, I should have been honest with myself and that's probably what, what you know, got you into the, into the, onto the pain train in the first place. It was like trying to keep up with everyone. So would you say like, because it, it, it's hard because you're talking about like building connections with people on a, on a, in a place where uh, you're kind of alone if there's nobody else in your like little party, right? Uh, but would you say like it, you're better to stick behind, go at your own pace no matter what, like whether you've got a sick group, but they're faster than you? Like, how would you say that? Because that's like a hard thing to tell someone like, hey, even though you you have a group of friends, you can't be hiking as fast as them for your own health and safety, you know? It depends. Because, I mean, the weather windows, right? So on the Pacific Crest Trail in the desert, it's usually, they call it the vortex because you stop in every town. It's new. It's fun. You want to take a zero day, which is a day where you hike zero miles when you get to town. Um, And then you look at your calendar and how many miles are left and you realize I've got to do 25 to 30 miles a day for the next month and a half. If I'm going to get to Canada, you know, and you stop having options. Yeah. Um, so if it was like all like nice and sweet and there is no weather ever. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll take a trail at 10 miles a day, but usually that's not going to help you either because it's just going to put you in a different predicament. Um, Man, that, and there's and a happy medium for everyone. Yeah, and that's like another logistical nightmare too. When you're on trail, moving yeah. at the moving at the right pace, and whether it's your pace or faster than your normal pace, um, just to just to try to beat weather windows. That's man. That's rough. And I mean, you can ease into it too. Like you can start a trail doing 10 miles a day, and then you can work your way up to 15s, work up to 20s. You know. Um, I, when I was on the Appalachian trail, I kept a photo in my phone that had three charts on it. And it was a list of the towns I planned on resupplying in just based on like what was every hundred miles. Definitely didn't need to stick through it. It was just like an idea of what was on the trail. And then I made a slow column, an average column and a fast column for how my pace would be and where that would put me finishing. Um, and then at any given time I could pull up the photo, see what town I was closest to and what column the date was closest to. And I could say, okay, I'm going slow right now, or I'm in the fast lane here. I could slow down a bit if I need to. Oh, um, that's, that's a good little track. trick right there. Yeah, I that like is. That. Yeah. 
I was gonna ask, do you have like a uh, <clears throat> an offline like phone GPS app that you use, or just a straight like Garmin GPS that you use to kind of gauge that thing, or uh, do you just strictly go off like trail signs and stuff? Yeah, the big uh, the big app in the world of through hiking is now called Far Out. Um, they used to be Gut Hook, but they rebranded recently to Far Out. They're doing a lot of like canoe packing and things like that um, that they're adding into. But they all have maps of the trail that'll show you the elevation profiles, have your little GPS coordinate on it, how far to the town. Like it'll show you where the shelters are, where the water sources are. You can comment on it and say like water dry. You know, so if I'm looking at it and I see water dry, I'm going to go to the next one based on when that was commented. Um, stuff like that, you're relying on having a phone, though, right? So if you're on, uh, if you're on a trail that's you know really in the back country, maybe you'll want to have a like an in-reach mini with you or something like that in case you're in an oh shit moment. Um, but for maps, a lot of people. There's paper maps that people will use on the PCT and on the AT, um, but it's just so hard to want to carry and use those when you got something like an app just in front of your face. Yeah, I, I like I, I have the the Garmin Mini, um, but I don't like I, I have friends who have like the the big Garmin plus their phone. Their the, all their maps are loaded onto their Garmin, and I'm just like, man, I just can't imagine taking this big Garmin uh extra gps device when i just have this thing and it's like super skinny and weighs almost nothing and it just goes in my pocket you know Um, yeah and i think other brands are catching up with long distance trails being things worth putting info on mm -hmm. uh onto their apps too because i know on on x backcountry is starting to add those to theirs as well like they were big in hunting which i'm sure you guys know being big in hunting um but now the backcountry side of things they're really trying to hone in for the hikers and what trails yeah. we do and all that. Yeah, they've launched three or I guess two new verticals in the last like five years, um, which is Onyx Off-Road and Onyx Backcountry. And then they've always had the Onyx. That's where they got their start was Onyx Hunt. Um, and I'm not too sure what the differences are. I do know that the Backcountry one uh, has a, like a lot of the Snowtail information. Um, mm-hmm which I'm sure you guys use for the PCT. Uh, I would only imagine that you guys use yeah. Snowtail information. I mean, on the PCT, it's it's funny because like, there are parts where you won't see the trail depending on when you're going through it. So mm-hmm. we had stretches where we, we were just looking at, gut, well, now it's far out, we were just looking at far out and like the line should be near us. So if we keep walking in that direction, we're walking near the line we should be on. Like yeah. you just check every now and then and correct where you need to. Um, but like a lot of I, what I've talked to people about is like the incorporation of fire info, right? Like the the avalanche stuff, for example, if you're doing backcountry skiing, is great to know. Yeah. If you're doing hiking in California in August, I want to know where the fires are when they start, like what the closures yeah. are, how far they stretch, you know, how far away from them I are. I am, um, and I think like we're getting to having things that are incorporating that. Um, uh with onyx it's cool that they do like far out will have an elevation tab that you click to and it'll show you like a mountain and where you are on it and like you'll go up with the grade onyx will have their actual trail line on the map um go from green to red in terms of how steep the grade is 
Um, so just anything like that that helps you know what to expect is great. Yeah. Yeah. So Chance, um, don't want to take up too much more of your time here, um, but I do have uh, kind of a final question for me, and then Lee can kind of finish up with you but um do you have a recommendation for like a person that's going on their first through hike like what would be the trail that you would recommend for them is this like a person or is this ryan just just a person (laughs) (laughs) not yeah i I would i would say like a completely rookie beginner that maybe have has gone on you know two or three backpack trips and is a very ambitious person who wants to take on something like that I think, I mean, here's the thing. It's just walking, right? So if you're looking at any of these, it's the majority of it is going to be walking and mental. And yeah, maybe you'll need some skills at some parts of it. You can look into if you possess those or not, but look into what you want to get out of the trail, right? If you like, like the history and the, you know, crowds and having people around you and a shelter above your head, the AT is great for that. If you want more sweeping vistas and panoramic views and, you know, just breathtaking mountains, go to the Pacific Crest Trail, right? If you're in Colorado and you're already, you know, in Grand Junction, Colorado Trail's right here. Um, There are so many different trails. Like, if you're, you know, in the north middle, whatever you call that, of the country, like the Ice Age Trail follows a lot of where the glaciers stopped. And so you get these really cool features on the trail that are just like, it looks like the ground just has like bumps coming out of it that are covered in like green and it looks super cool. So hmm. there, there's, it's really hard to pick the wrong trail um, as long as you're going for what you want to get out of it. If you want to be around people, AT. If you don't want to be around people, CDT. If you want, you know, like it, it all comes down to what you're looking to get. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so your book, um, it kind of goes into to all that stuff. Hiking from home kind of is, it sounds like it would be a, a pretty good base point for anybody that's that's looking to dive into this world, huh? Yeah, it covers everything that like you would want to know about how a hike works. And it's worded um, for someone that doesn't hike. So it's, I tried to simplify everything as easy as possible. So it goes through like the basics. It goes through logistics, safety, um, staying in touch, how to be supportive from home. Significant others is always a huge uh, hurdle if you're going on trail with a significant other. Um, So just everything, you know, from how to plan your base weight to, like I was saying, with the money, like things to take into consideration when budgeting, how hygiene works and how to use the bathroom. How do you know where you're going to sleep? How do you know where you're going to get water? How to... How do resupply boxes work? So if you're absolutely green in this, it's, I mean, it moonlights as a great option for someone who just wants to get to know this world in a very um, non-intimidating way. Uh, And it's also something that's meant for like, yeah, you've decided you're going to go do one of these things and your mom's freaking out. Toss her this book and the feedback I keep getting from it is the person leaves asking more questions, being more involved, being more excited for your hike. Um, cause it takes out a lot of those elements of uncertainty and unknowns, yeah. uh, and makes it more exciting. Yeah. Yeah. 
so so you just had Andrew Skirko on the podcast, right? On your podcast. Uh, did he bring up speaking of hygiene? Did he bring up backcountry bidet? Pooping, we Guys. always gotta bring up. Did the he bidet. bring up? Don't even talk to me about Andrew Skirka in the backcountry bidet. <laughs> I didn't shake that man's hand, and he forgot <laughs> why. He was like, uh, "Why won't I?" I was like, "I'm not touching you." He's like, "Why won't you shake my hand?" I was like, "I know where the hand has been." Um, yeah. yeah, we made him give us like a full like interpretive like visual of how it works. Uh, I will never be a backcountry bidet-er. Um, I so think. I think it's great. Like, uh, like yeah. nothing against Andrew. I think it's great. I just, I just can't bring myself to do it. Um, I think, I think after talking to him, I think wipes is probably what you want to sell. Some sort of biodegradable wipe. Yeah, you got to um, make sure that when you buy a package of baby wipes, or we'll just call them wipes. They're not for babies. But um, if you buy a package of wipes, you got to make sure they say biodegradable. Because not even all oh, of them are flushable, and those I'll are like. I'll be on that. You're not even supposed to leave them if they're that. You know, you're supposed to pack it out. So you got your trash bag Uh-oh. for your food Uh-oh. trash, and then you got your trash bag in your trash bag. For food so trash. we were just talking about this for certain river trips. Uh, you know, you gotta you gotta uh, take a, what's called wag bags, basically like a dirty yeah. poop bag, but for yourself, right? Um, they do that on Whitney. You have to carry a wag bag. Yeah, it, it, and so there are sections of like these trails that that require these these. Uh, um, no. Oh no. I mean Whitney, yeah, but like the reason they say don't like bury your TP is because oftentimes, like if it's just toilet paper, you're not digging your hole deep enough, so you're just giving like the rodent something to play with. Um, yeah. If you were to dig like an actual six to eight inch hole, you would be good enough to bury like regular TP. We had someone from Leave No Trace on the podcast, and we expected him to definitely not say that. He did. But things like wet wipes, like, it goes even with, like, Dr. Bronner's, you know, shampoo, right? Like, that stuff you're supposed to use 100 yards from a water source and bury mm-hmm. it, again, six inches when you're done. So it doesn't affect um, what's going on on the surface. And most mm-hmm. people just aren't going to bury it that deep. So mm-hmm. you usually <laughs> just take a Ziploc bag. Yeah. <laughs> Put it in there, and you put it in your trash bag, and then when you get to town, you just throw the whole thing out. But you're usually not leaving it behind. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I just wanted to get your perspective on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, did you have something else there, Lee? No, I mean it's just uh, it's crazy to think about. I've been, yeah. I've been, I, I must have been doing it wrong for a long time. Yeah, well, usually, I mean, well, we'll we'll bury, we'll dig a hole. Sometimes you you dig the hole, and then you go right in it sometimes you go you dig the hole you push it in after depending on how much of an emergency it is but yeah you usually pack out the uh the paperwork yeah man how many times are we going to talk about poop on this podcast i I, dude i was just (laughs) thinking the same thing like people probably think we're the most immature i mean oh they're always talking about poop yeah i know we we gotta put a moratorium on it yeah, I mean, yeah. you can't. Um, but you it's, can't talk about the outdoors and doing things in the outdoors because you gotta poop. If you don't poop, you dude, it's get messed we up. We say you're not a true through hiker unless you shit your pants. So I'm still not what? a true through hiker by that theory. But wow. you get a lot of uh ohs um, that wow. eventually Man. people start to talk about. That's <laughs> that's that's wild. But no, I mean, in getting back to your point, Lee, I mean, like it is like there's many people out there that don't go you know stay nights in the outdoors because of that because, they, because yeah, of that factor my so mother, you know 
It's it's justified. We're not immature. We're not immature. I will say, like, my my first time was I was terrified, right? Like, I was trying to get from town to town. I heard mac and cheese will really just stop you up and get you to the next place you need to go. But after a while, it's like it's almost more comfortable. And then you just like, it's cleaner than a porta potty. It's cleaner than a privy. You know, it's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, That's all I got, man. That's after the poop. That's all I got. Good conclusion. I've I've said yeah, my well, piece about poop. <laughs> um, well, Juliana, just uh, give us a give us a little rundown of where we can find you, where we can get your book, and uh, maybe a little sign off. Sure. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Juliana underscore Chauncey. Uh, I go a little dormant in the winter because I'm an indoor cat. Uh, when the cold hits, and I have my hikes um, vlogged on YouTube. Uh, so you can look up Juliana Chauncey on YouTube if you want to watch any of them. Um, and then hiking from home, you can get on Amazon. Sweet. Sweet. Go go peep that Backpacker book, people. Radio. Backpacker Radio, you could check out wherever you're listening to this, too, I guess. Yeah. Heck yeah. All the places. All, yeah, the, all, all the places. All Every places. last one. <laughs> well, thanks a bunch for jumping on with us and taking your time. And, um, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll have to maybe we'll have to do a check back in. At our, do you have any trips planned for the summer? No, right now our next big thing is we're going to Trail Days, which is like an annual festival on the Appalachian Trail. Um, mm. So we're taking the podcast there in May for a week, doing some hiking around the Smokies. But no major big hikes coming up. I think I think the next big one I'd want to do is the Terrora in New Zealand, but I, Ooh, I don't see that being boy. this year. Terrora. That sounds fantastic. I'm, I'm gonna go yeah. Google it right now. Yeah, I've never seen it, but it sounds that, like, like I would. You just said it. New Zealand, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm in." Lord of the Rings, I'm you in. got me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, north yeah. and south, south and north. It goes over both both of those islands. Yep. If you're into LARPing, that's what you gotta do. <laughs> that's, that's me. I'm gonna dress up. I'm gonna dress up like uh, Frodo Baggins. I'm gonna go hike that thing, man. That's what I'm gonna do. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I've got Snapchat saved on my phone where I've got my trekking pole tucked into my hip belt, and I'm like walking through fog, and like the captions definitely don't say like I'm Jon Snow defending the wall. You yeah. know, like I'm hiking, <laughs> hand on it, like pretending it's a sword, like keeping myself yeah. safe. You got to. Well, thank you very much for jumping on, and uh, yeah, good good luck to you this summer, and uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us.